Okay, today we come to the second chapter of Revelation. Uh, in this chapter, we read Jesus' letters to four of the seven churches in this section, letters to the churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. Now, let's make a couple of quick points from chapter 1, just to give us some more context for the current chapter, and also take a look at some truths that we glean from the letters uh, to these churches. First, so still getting some context from chapter 1, we said in our introduction to the book as a whole that Revelation appears to be divided into seven sections. The first section are the first three chapters, chapters 1 through 3, revolve, and they revolve around seven golden lampstands, chapter 1, verse 12, which symbolize, according to chapter 1, verse 20, those symbolize the seven churches. That's one of the few places where we say, here's the symbol. Oh, well, here's what the symbol represents. The, the seven golden lampstands are seven, the seven churches. And uh, the, the seven stars that Christ holds in his hand are the ministers or the pastors of those seven churches. Uh, I think in chapter 1, verse 20, pastors or ministers is what is most likely referred to by angels in, 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 in that verse. Uh, angels, that word translated angels can mean messenger, which uh, is often interpreted as the ministers or the pastors, the messengers of those churches. It's not purely arbitrary that the church is represented by lampstands here, noting that Jesus himself calls the church to be uh, the light of the world in Matthew 5:14. Jesus even uses the same word used in chapter 1, verses 12 and 20 for lampstand in the very next verse in Matthew 5:15. So, in this first section of Revelation, as we read through the several letters to the churches, we're reminded by their symbolic designation as lampstands what is the church's main purpose, to bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and to glorify him in every way. Let me highlight just one more note from chapter 1. We said that each of the seven sections of Revelation are intended to describe in varying detail the whole span of time between the first and second comings of Jesus. While this first section of Revelation is in many respects different than the remaining section, the same principle applies here also. What that would mean is that while these letters are addressed to specific churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, etc., the issues in them are common and applicable to the church throughout the entire church age until Christ returns. There are two clues in chapter 1 that lead me uh, to believe that this is the case. For one, it is not likely mere coincidence that seven churches are addressed. Again, we said this yesterday, seven is almost always symbolically, uh, well it is, it's, a, it's symbolically an important number in, in Revelation and in the Bible as a whole. It's a number throughout the Bible that represents completion so this lends credibility to, to the view that it is not merely these, these seven specific churches, but that they represent the whole and complete church throughout the entire church age that are instructed here. A second reason is that John is instructed in Revelation 1, verse 19, to write down the revelation given to him, describing, as it puts in verse 19 of chapter 1, the things that are, and those that are to take place after this. The things that are and the things that are to take place after this. That not only applies to the final sixth section of the letter, but to this first section as well. So these two reasons together seem to suggest that the things said in the following letters to the churches have not only to do with those specific churches, 
but for all churches, and not only for that time, but for all time. So, having said that, let's let's begin to think about these specific letters, because um, they're very worth they're very much worth our careful attention. Let's think first about compromise and complacency. As we mentioned in the introduction, we find in this uh, chapter letters to four of the seven churches addressed in Revelation. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. Now, while they're not all identical in every respect, there is a basic structure that is more or less followed in each letter. You identify the addressee to the angel of the church in Ephesus, and you identify the author. The words of him who, and then the commendation, um, I know your works. Then the condemnation, but I have this against you. And then the warning, I will come against you, or come to you and remove your lampstand. And then the exhortation, repent and do the works you did at first. And then the promise to the one who conquers, I will do this or that. So with so you have you have the uh, addressee, the author, the commendation, the condemnation, the warning, the exhortation, and the promise. So with some flexibility, most of the letters follow a pattern like that. And while the situation in every church was a little different, we do find a couple of basic similarities among them. With the exception of the church at Smyrna, which is the one church in, in this chapter with whom the Lord finds no fault, interestingly, the problems of the other three churches come down to either complacency and or compromise. When you, when you look at the church at Ephesus, their main problem seems to be complacency. Jesus told them in Revelation 2.4, you have abandoned the love that you had at first. It seems likely that by the time of this letter, um, the church at Ephesus had been in existence for about 40 years. Paul planted that church, and they've been around now for about 40 years. It seems reasonable to think that the, the first generation of that church was passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. But when that generation died out, there was no passion or love among the next generation. It is reminiscent of the Old Testament Israelite generation after Joshua died. We read in, Josh, in Judges 2, 10 and 11, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Complacency among us. Um which leads to other sins, is a very real possibility when we aren't intentional and diligent to, to fan into flame our own love for Christ, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.16. The churches, churches of uh, Pergamum and Thyatira are similar in their struggles, both uh, accurately described as compromise, uh, not, com not as much complacency as compromise. They both compromised their faith and devotion to Christ for similar reasons, though in um, in different degrees. Both churches were being tempted to compromise their commitment to Christ and their obedience to him because of social and economic pressures. In Pergamum, Pergamum was a city with a deep devotion to Caesar and the Roman Empire. The believers in that city were tempted to pay homage to Caesar and even participate in pagan practices or rituals or else be discriminated against in society. The letter to them in Revelation makes reference to Balaam in, in verse 14. And this is also reminiscent of the Old Testament Israelite generation 
During Balaam's time, in Numbers 25, verses 1 and 2, we read that, quote, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore after the daughters of Moab. These invited the people uh, to the sacrifices of the gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And later we read that the people were influenced to bow down to other gods in Numbers 31.16 on Balaam's advice. Much like that, there was pressure in Pergamum to compromise their commitment to Christ in order to be accepted in society. I shouldn't have to tell you that this is a temptation we face as well. To repeat, the issues we find in these churches in Revelation are issues that will be repeatedly issues throughout the entire church age until Christ returns. Thyatira was much like Pergamum, only more so, and for slightly different reasons. Thyatira was a large trade center with a heightened business emphasis. And because of this, they had very influential trade guilds or trade unions. There was tremendous pressure to be a member of these trade unions because refusal to join would mean economic hardship and social ostracization. The problem, however, was that to join a trade union, more times than not, required participation in pagan practices. Even worse, there appears to have been a a person or a group within the church leading others and teaching others to justify their participation in these activities. Uh, You see that in Revelation 2.20. Perhaps convincing them that it's not unchristian to participate in these things if you don't really believe it and you, you, you approach it as... Uh, becoming familiar with the deep things of Satan, verse 24. You know, we don't really believe this. Kind of do it with your fingers crossed. In order to do, you know, the, or we're, we're becoming more familiar with Satan so we can do battle against him more effectively. Well, Jesus warns them in verse 23, clearly alluding to Jeremiah 17:10, which is a prophetic warning against those who compromise their faithfulness for economic reasons. Again, it's a warning we need to hear. One final quick point to be made here is how Jesus designates himself in each letter. Always pay attention when, when, when the Lord Jesus introduces himself to these different churches. Always pay attention to how he introduces, introduces himself. How does he describe himself? To the church in Ephesus, he calls himself him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's 2-1. To the church in Smyrna, he is the first and the last who died and came to life. That's 2.8. In 2.12, to the church in Pergamum, he is him who has the sharp two-edged sword. And to the church in Thyatira, in, in verse 18, he was him who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. All of these self-designations are important and insightful to what he is saying to the church. Each one, it is comforting to the per- it's you know think about it. It's comforting to the persecuted but faithfully persevering church at Smyrna to know that their Lord and Savior is even He who died and came came to life again. Verse eight. It's a warning to the false teachers in Ephesus to know that the Lord Jesus Christ walks among the seven golden lampstands, that is churches, and knows everything that goes on. It's warning to those who compromise in Pergamum that Jesus is him who has the sharp two-edged sword, verse 12. And for those who refuse to repent, he will war against them with the sword of his mouth, verse 16. And finally, it's a warning to those 
who are even more entrenched in their compromise and unfaithfulness in Thyatira, that Jesus Christ, in verse 18, has eyes like a flame of fire, and he searches the heart and the mind, in verse 23, and he sees through their trying to justify their ungodliness. Jesus is not uninvolved or uninformed, but is personally active and involved in all of his churches, either to bless or to judge. Through the prophet Isaiah, God had told uh, the Old Testament Israelites in, in 47.10, You felt secure in your wickedness, and you said, No one sees me. And you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Judgment surely can't, came to Israel, and it will surely come to the church who doesn't acknowledge the Lordship of Christ and walk in grateful obedience to Him in every way. For those churches that do, who are faithful unto death, Verse 10 says he promises to give you the crown of life. Those are a few thoughts from Revelation chapter 2.